Listener Production. This is Come Out Wherever You Are, a podcast about coming out told by the people who have done it. I'm your host, Sean Zepps, and because this is a podcast about coming out, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. I'm a gay man. I first came out in early 2000 to a friend in a closet, and I most recently came out to a waiter at a restaurant in Tassie. Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Casey. Casey, can you introduce yourself? Tell us if you can remember when you first came out and when you last came out. Well, hello, Sean. It's wonderful to be here today. So the first time I came out was um, to my parents um, with a handwritten letter back many, many years ago now. So that was uh, the first time. And the last time was just this morning. We had a tradie over. You know those tradies that come over and they're a bit chatty and they love a chat? And he was like, oh, what does your husband do for work? And I was like, it just rolls off the tongue now. Well, I'm in a same-sex partnership and my partner does this and... So that was the last time, just literally a few hours ago. The tradie. This is the exact moment I had always hoped would happen on the show, where it's so recent, like it's within the last 24 hours. So you can remind people that those little micro moments that most of us don't think about actually do happen all the time. Absolutely. And to be honest, if I had to put a number on it, it'd probably happen still three or four times a week, constantly at a park, at a playground, with a parent, mm. at the shopping center, ringing the doctor surgery. It happens all the time. We haven't actually had a a lot of opportunities to talk to parents. So this is obviously exciting for me. This is a huge episode for me because I love tennis. I love (laughs) you and I love parenting. But when you're a parent, you end up having to come out a lot more than you would expect, especially in the same-sex relationship, because it feels justified for them in the normal small talk parenting script to bring up my wife or bring up your husband. And then you're doing it in front of the kids and it's annoying and you have to kind of like jump into it in your house in the morning to a tradie. Yeah, absolutely. But the the thing now is my kids are actually so used to it that they'll be like, oh, we've got two mums or we've got two mums. So often the kids, bless them, will jump in and and say, um, which is great. They're so proud of both of their mums, obviously. Mm. And we're so proud of them and we're a real tight-knit family. But you're right. It's one of those things... once you become a parent, it's a really big responsibility to make sure that your children feel comfortable in their environment and what they're saying in their language. And then also, um, you know, when we're in front of people that we're comfortable and confident to say who our family is and what we stand for and our values and all of that. So, mm. but it is a very, very regular conversation that you have as a parent. And I'm sure you notice that so much too. I haven't actually unpacked it as much as I'm about to right now, because I hadn't put so much effort into considering, obviously, I for a living, I talk about being a gay dad, but you said something beautiful. When you don't have a child, you get to make a decision each time someone like a tradie or someone in a cafe or an, an Uber driver brings up this moment, where you that, that fork in the road where you get to decide, do I tell them I'm gay or do I just go along with it because I'm bored? Yes. I, yeah, 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 I got a husband. <laughs> when you're doing it in front of your children, you really are your character, your family values is defined in how you respond. And you don't want them to think for a millisecond that you're not proud of the family that they have. And so in that moment, it's so much more than your own micro decision. It's it's the whole family's decision in how you respond. Yeah, you want to teach your children that you are you are proud of them, you are proud of the family, mm. you are proud of your partner. And that, I mean, when as we talk, that was the biggest thing for me in terms of even my coming out story was the fact that my partner was pregnant with our first son because 
that was a moment where I thought, wow, this is a massive responsibility to raise a child that he's, you know, in a happy, loving family mm. and that we're happy and he, we should be proud of that, right? And I want to celebrate that. And I also want him to be, us to be honest with him and all of our children. So yeah, it's a very pivotal moment. You're right. I've had so many times where I've been in a taxi of a car and there'll be a taxi driver chatting and you're like, oh, I'm a hairdresser and I'm married and I make up sometimes stories because I'm so... yeah tired of having those conversations, but you're right, once you become a parent, yeah, life does change immensely. Mm, totally. Casey Delacqua is a legend of Australian sport. She was a professional tennis player from the early 2000s until she retired in 2018. These days, she is a tennis commentator and works with Tennis Australia in player relations and as a women and girls lead for Tennis New South Wales. Now, Some of you will know this already, but I am obsessed with tennis. I play three times a week. I watch it seven days a week. I know all the top 100 players on the boys' side and the girls' side. Okay, this is a very big moment for me. The chance to combine my love for tennis and my love for being gay. What a gift this is. And I can't wait for you all to hear it too. Here's Casey. Unlike almost everyone we've had on this show, your coming out story was very public especially to someone who's a part of the queer community and a part of the tennis community. And so when you came out, I was aware of that information. And I think a lot of people listening would be aware of of how that information came out and then what happened afterwards. But the average person really isn't fully aware of the full journey, what happened before 2013. I'm glad you answered the first question about the handwritten note because it gives us a moment where we can kind of begin. But I'd like to take a step even further back. Where were you born uh, and uh, what time in human history? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm from Western Australia, Mm -hmm. um, a proud West Aussie, and I was born in 1985, so 37 years of age now and grew up, even though Perth is obviously a big capital city, it felt quite regional over there and you did feel quite isolated. But I grew up, um, obviously, with my mum and my dad. I've got an older sister and a younger brother. I've got a beautiful nan who's still alive to this day, my nan yes. and pop. I've got extended family. I grew up with so many different um, friends and cousins and always had people around. So I had a really blessed childhood and uh, did all the things that a lot of Aussie kids do. I mean, and I know you're experiencing that now, being, uh, yeah. being in Aussie, but camping, fishing, going to the beach, did all of that stuff as a kid. So I feel very fortunate that I had a wonderful childhood. Did you get into sport right away? Is that something that just happened as soon as you can hold something, you had a racket in your hand? Yeah. Oh, forever can I, like, I can never remember not wanting to be an Olympian. It was always my dream. Mm -hmm. I grew up with, um, my dad played high-level AFL football over in Western Australia. So I grew up, you know, making cards to take to the footy. I love my dad and pom-poms and whatever I could. Spent my years at the footy club. My nan and my mum were both volunteers at my local tennis club. Oh, wow. So I grew up with this strong um, passion for tennis, but also really strong female role models in my life. And uh, my nan's a lefty of the family, so she claims that she passed on her talent to me. Bless her. But um, yeah, grow up, sport has always been our life. So and fortunate to find a sport like tennis that I love. And I love knowing people that love tennis yeah. as much as you do. <laughs> now, I'm not going to like project too much because obviously I know the ending of the story and I also know a lot about the sport. But for people who are listening, when you were growing up in tennis, when you're growing up in that part of Australia, were there any glimmers of acceptance of people who were different? Would you have thought of tennis to be elitist or homophobic or was it an accepting environment for all kids who were different? 
Yeah, back then I didn't know anyone that was gay. I don't think I knew anyone that was in a same-sex relationship. Mm. It wasn't ever something that was ever I was ever surrounded by. So if I had to say, yeah, I just, it wasn't something that I ever experienced as I never had, you know, that perhaps uncle or auntie that was gay yeah. or that you had that. I never had that really. So I had a cousin, um, Oliver, who I'm very close with and he's um, he's gay. So I always had him that I knew of. But um, other than that, even at the local tennis club, I can't ever say that I felt like it was an elitist sport. It always felt very safe and inclusive for me, even back then. Great. But obviously I was a young kid and I think everyone was welcome back then and mm. didn't have so much to do with, I guess, me being gay, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Mm. So when you think back to your childhood, what was the moment or a moment where you realized, okay, I am a little bit different than the other girls? Yeah, well, growing up, <laughs> there's one story in particular, I guess, that um, stands out to me. And I've got a photo of it. I've got a couple of best friends over in Perth and um, to the local um, school disco, it was kind of a dress up and all my friends got dressed up as Spice Girls and I got dressed up as Shane Warne. Yes, (laughs) I put on my brother's cricket clothes and put some white zinc on. And I I think I never was overly interested in having a boyfriend through high school. Um, You know, being gay wasn't really something that was spoken about. So it was Mm. either you had a boyfriend or you just didn't. So for me, I just, I didn't really grow up interested in that. And the the other thing was, I just had a dream that I wanted to be an athlete. All I wanted to do was be an Olympian. So boyfriends are like the last thing on my mind. I just wanted to play sport with the boys and beat them Mm. at whatever. So that was kind of... Oh, you did. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I always wanted to be the fastest, the best, the quickest, whatever it was. And I just wasn't really interested in that whole kind of scene in terms of having a boyfriend or kissing boys. I was... um. Yeah, I was pretty boring through like my childhood because all I wanted to do was be an athlete. That's so funny that you would even think that that's boring because it's the most exciting thing (laughs) in the entire world. But there must have been some moment that you were like, I can't avoid this because blank. Because you meet someone, because you fall in love, because... Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, I was probably about 17 or 18 at the time. Mm. I left home when I was 15 to move to the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, But then, you know, you shift to 18 years of age and I definitely felt like I was missing out on life. I thought, I'm not going out. I don't have any fun. Um, you know, those teenage years can be pretty tough. And they were tough for me as a tennis player and being in the public eye, mm. whether it be issues around, you know, not being fit enough or you just being constantly criticized. And then I was like, I'm just not having any fun. So I started to go out. I met some friends and then, yeah, about 18 years of age, I was over in Perth and out and had my first experience with another woman. And then, she ended up being my partner for a number of years. And then, yeah, that was, I think, the first moment where I was like, oh, this is different and this is probably, I didn't expect my life to maybe head here, yeah. but here I am. What do I do? This is hard. I need to keep it a secret. I want to be a tennis player. And, yeah. you know, just a million miles an hour, my head spinning. So that was probably around about when I was about 18, it all kind of started for me. And I had kissed boys and I'd kind of, you know, did a bit of that. But in terms of anything else, I was pretty boring. But that was a big pivotal moment for Mm, me. And there's a lot more pressure than I think the average person can kind of grapple with. Yeah. It's difficult to consider coming out to your family in the 90s or any time at all throughout all of human history. But around that time, it's still not wildly accepted. And then the pressure on top of that of you knowing without a fact 
that if you had a girlfriend and was seen out in a wild, that that would have been written about by as many Australian and global yes. you know, news organizations as possible. Mm. I mean, I'm sure it seems quite obvious, but was it for you a decision about like, oh, I'm not going to say this because the moment that I say it, that's going to become the thing and then it won't be about how fucking good I am at this sport? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It was like I wanted to be remembered to be remembered for Casey, the tennis player, and not about my identity off the court. Yeah. And that probably held me back from coming out to the public for a long time because I was just so consumed by the fact that I had this dream and, like, I'd spent my whole life sacrificing everything as a kid because all I wanted to be was an athlete. Why am I going to come out and say that I'm gay? In an era where even I know 10 years ago, like, it was still a lot different Mm. than it is now, it was a really difficult moment. Um... So there was a period there where, yeah, I was trying to work out what was going on with me and Casey as a human and not so much the tennis player, but it was it was tough because obviously, yes, I didn't want to be caught with mm. my partner at the time. Mm. Um, a lot of it was secretive. Yeah. A lot of it was hidden. Um, my family eventually knew, but for a long time, they probably had no idea. Sure. And that's tough. Like it's you know, it's not a great place to be in um, when you feel like you're constantly walking around trying to hide who you are and you can't be who you want to be. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, those those years were pretty tough. And then also trying to find my career, find where I was going in terms of being a, a tennis player as well. And, yeah, through that whole time, obviously, yeah, the public didn't know and it was just kind of me finding my way. I find it really interesting because when you hear high-performance athletes, and I only really... I'm obsessed with tennis, so I don't know so much outside of the sport, but you'll often hear from athletes when they're able to feel supported by those around them and secure in their self, the racket flies. Like you hear it time and time and time again. The more secure I am, my great support system, my great wife, my great team, you know, I'm feeling really secure in who I am. And then they're playing better because their brain is not constantly trapped in this vicious cycle. And it blows my mind that you were able to be as good as you were and struggle with that. And so I'm interested in, did you use it as motivation or avoid? Um, probably more avoidance. Mm. <laughs> but it's funny how mentally strong you become, right? And I think I never gave myself much credit for how mentally strong I was and am now because, mm. um, yeah, to get through that period where, yeah, I basically would avoid who I was off the court, but there I was I was actually really happy off the court with, you know, the partner I was with at the time and then, you know, that was translating to on the court. And you're right, like as a tennis player, like we're on the road for nine months of the year. You're out there in an individual sport. It's about you and your opponent. And yep. this, I know it's a physical game, but so much of it is about the mentality, about tactics and you have to be mentally strong. So if you're happy off the court, you always perform well on the court. But for me, it was like I was happy off the court. I was performing well on the court, but yet there was this really big, if something didn't quite go right, then it mm. was going to capitulate very quickly. But, um, yeah, it was a really challenging time. But, yeah, you just have to be mentally strong. And I'm really, you know, looking back, proud of myself even the way I handled it at the time because it was definitely challenging. I yes. can imagine. Yeah. At what point do you decide that you want to tell your family? That must have been oh. a very big hurdle. <laughs> Isn't it so, it's so difficult, isn't it? Like, I guess I never wanted to disappoint my parents. Mm. And I have beautiful parents. My mum and dad are the most beautiful people. But 
it, it was still innate in me that I felt like I was going to disappoint them. And not only them, my nan and pop, mm. my brother and sister, what were they going to say? But I just got to a point where I was kind of so happy with my partner at the time and I was doing so much with it. It was pretty obvious as well, right? <laughs> when you get to that point where you're spending so much time with this person and I think things started to click yeah. with my parents. So then I thought, my goodness, how am I going to do this? So I did the old school, get a notebook out, write a letter, put it in the letterbox. Me too. Did oh, you? Oh, no, not in the letterbox. The letter is just such an easy way to... Yeah. I know. You read it. You read it. And then I'll avoid. I'll keep avoiding. But I wrote the letter to mum and dad. They were over in Perth. I was in Sydney at the time. Um, And I wouldn't say it was necessarily the easiest process or even once they read it. It was definitely had the conversations around mum and dad. Is this a phase? Is this, you know, a lot of probably commonalities between a lot of people that when they do come out to their parents... Mm. But in saying that, I never felt like they didn't not love me. Like they loved me unconditionally and I always felt that. It was just a process of working through that with them. Yeah. So it was nice in a sense we were able to all get through that. And I think they knew that I was happy. I was playing great tennis. But yeah, the good old letter in the post was the easiest way at the time, I think, for me to deal with that moment because, yeah, it was a massive moment. I hear that a lot, you know, it. You don't know what's going to happen. You know that they love you. But mm. There's just a lot of rhetoric around what can go wrong, especially during that time. I mean, mm. off the back of the 80s and the 90s, it's not a great time to be queer. And no. you meet so many people in major cities. Or you, The only stories you hear are usually like, and my family kicked me out. And mm. like those are the movies that are made and those are the books that are made. Yeah. And so by the time it happens to you, you're like, well, maybe if I have distance from it, then, then the information is out and then I can just deal with the ramifications, but I don't have to see it. And I actually think it's, it's smart because sometimes when people um, are shocked, they don't always say the nicest things, even though they might not mean it. It's just like what word vomits out. But I'm glad that you said that you're giving them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Only because on this show, I'm learning over the course of the last couple of years of making it that our parents and our grandparents grew up with an entirely different they rule do. book. Yeah. I mean, just the Bible for that time and, and access mm. to information they had and yeah. the examples. It wasn't far-fetched to think that the moment you said that or the moment my parents heard that they would have thought, Casey's and Sean's life is going to be shitty. Yeah. And that would have been... Justified, like completely justified. Yeah, that's exactly what I felt. And I felt like through that whole process, I wasn't necessarily thinking so much about me. I was thinking about the conversations my mum perhaps would have with her friends about Mm. her daughter, you know, being gay and being different to her friends' kids. And those type of thoughts for me were quite prominent because we grew up with such a tight community. And I didn't want my parents to, I was so concerned for them also, like how that was going to affect them. And, yeah, you hear so many not great stories and kids being kicked out of home or not accepting. And so I'm quite empathetic that my story, although it was difficult, it still wasn't so hard when I look back compared to what other people have experienced. So I don't want to always be the person like, I had a great experience and it was so easy because you're right, it wasn't. Having grandparents and parents from a generation where it just didn't really happen. Mm. It was was a very, very um, tricky path to navigate. I haven't thought about this and hearing you talk for just a second. I said, don't cry. This isn't, she's talking. Don't make it about (laughs) you. But I forgot, honestly forgot 
that a big part of coming out and feeling comfortable coming out is coming to terms with the fact that everyone else is going to have to come out too because mm, of you. Exactly. Your brother and your sister mm-hmm. and your grandparents and the weight of that on a yeah. kid. And I mean a kid at any age, right? Mm. Because when you're 50, you're still a kid to your mom who's yeah. 80 or whatever. And I remember having that be a wall, a barrier of yeah. like, here I am just trying to live my life. And then the moment I say this thing, everyone else gets affected by it. Yeah. My straight brother doesn't have to deal with it that way. Like what another terrible thing about being queer. Yes. And I think that's important for people to hear. It's important for the parent to hear. Like if your child's going to come out to you, you have to understand that it, they're not just thinking about themselves. It's not just ego. No. It's a lot of other familiar relationships wrapped up in that yeah, struggle. There absolutely is. And I kept trying to say to my parents at the time, I remember saying, like, I don't want to make my life any more difficult than Mm. it needs to be. Like, life's already difficult, right? But I know this is going to be difficult for all of us, but I'm telling you the truth and this is who I am. And I remember being quite able to articulate that moment quite well. Mm. But, yeah, then still in the back of my mind, like, oh, my God, my mum's going to have to go to the grocery store and you know, bump into all her friends and have those conversations. My dad's going to have to go to the footy club and, you know, tell all these mates. And, you know, you just can't help but think about all of those situations when you're coming out to your parents. Yeah. And again, as if I need to tell you, on top of all of this is the fact that you're famous. And so (laughs) it's like an athlete people want to write about. And so naturally, or actually maybe not naturally, is there a concern that if other people in your family know that it might happen, that the Daily Mail might find out somehow? Is that a part of your thought process? Yeah, I was really concerned that someone was going to come out and write something about me. Um, Thankfully, the media at the time were more concerned about my weight or how fit or fit, not fit I was, Mm. um, as opposed to my personal relationships. But the media can be brutal. And I work in the media now. So, um, and my... The way I approach my media now is very, you know, I'm a player first. Yeah. I'm all for the players because I've been in the shoes of those players yeah. um, when the media were allowed to write basically whatever they wanted to write about. So, yeah, I was very concerned that someone was going to out me um, in the public and I wouldn't be able to do it on my own terms. But um, still for many, many years after I even came out to my parents, I, I never spoke to the public about any of my relationships about who I was or anything like that. It was still kept under wraps from the media for, for a very long time. But in saying that, the people closest to me knew and that was all at the time that mattered to me. So, yeah. And that was always going to be the hardest part. Mm. But at some point, I knew I was going to have to face the media. Yeah. I just wasn't sure when the time was right for that. I remember reading a quote. I guess I was just, in, just, just moved to New York City. Some quote after you came out and it was, a line that like frustrated me and made perfect sense. It was like one of those weird juxtapositions. (laughs) So I was like, she must feel the same way. But it was like, I just wanted, I didn't want to be the spokesperson for this. I just wanted to play the sport and do the best job I could. And I remember like being like, I hate that this is what athletes have to say. It infuriates me Mm. because as a queer person, I thought, this is what actors say. This is what athletes say. It's like anyone who wants to do something at an exceptional level has to sacrifice their personal life for the sport. Yeah. But, but it's that drive that probably got you there. It's It just feels like they don't sit side by side and that we should fix it, and yet it feels impossible because it's so personal. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, as, a, as an athlete, I mean, 
I wanted to be on the court as Casey, the tennis player. And again, like I didn't want to be remembered or be the poster girl for, um, you know, the LGBTQ at the time because it's not because I wasn't proud of who I was or I wasn't proud of anything to do with me. It was more because being a tennis player was hard enough, right? Like being a high-performing athlete was so consuming and I just wanted to do that for a while And then as my career went on, there was big pivotal moments where I was like, no, this is my time where I need to stand up for the LGBT community. I need to be a spokesperson. I need to be that person. But for many years, and I I probably wasn't, this was when, you know, I wasn't even properly out so much, but I just felt like I just need to be a tennis player. Mm. I want to achieve a, a lot of things and that was going to take up a lot of my time. And being an advocate for something can be quite consuming. Sure. So it was just a timing thing for me. It was never that I wasn't proud of who I was and that. It was just more a timing thing. But, yes, it's it was, you know, I just didn't want it to come across that I didn't want to be the spokesperson because I wasn't proud. It was just yeah. a – I was just wanted to be a tennis player too. But you're right. It's a hard one because, like, you just feel like you can't do both. It's got to be one or the other. Yeah. But, like, I am who I am and this is who I am as well off the court. I mean, I know – because it happened to you and it's happened to a lot of athletes where like there's this huge moment, you've made it to the semifinals of a Grand Slam and someone slips in some question about your personal life. It still happens all the time. It's like, (laughs) can you believe you've achieved this as a mother? Can you believe you've achieved this as a gay man? Like they're they're bringing up these elements and I imagine for you, you're like, I wasn't thinking about being gay while hitting the ball. (laughs) (laughs) I was focused on my topspin or whatever. And I get it. Like, that's what the media needs to do. That's the yes. headline. That's the clip. That's the moment. But it, I think it actually does make a lot of sense to a lot of people why you would take some time. Yeah. I, I, it took some time. And then, you know, you definitely have people, um, you know, discuss things like when you're, you know, looking for sponsors, how that may be coming out or sure. perhaps putting yourself out there as a, a gay woman that may affect, you know, I'm talking still what, 13? Recently. Yeah, 13 years ago. So it's not like I know we've made progress, but we've got so much room to move still in terms of making sure that, you know, sport is continues to be safe and inclusive from high performance level all the way through to club land. So I think, yeah, you know, you have those conversations and you constantly doubt, oh my gosh, what's going to happen if I come out to the media? Mm. And then for me, I think it it really came down to timing in terms of, and again, it comes back to, you know, I went on to, you know, meet my current partner and she was pregnant with a with our first son and he was born and I had played at Wimbledon and done really well at Wimbledon and then it came around to the US Open. I hadn't played a tournament because I was at home, you know, for the birth of our first son and yeah. someone in the media asked me why I hadn't been playing at the ranking I was, like you should be out playing some tournaments and I just genuinely thought this is my time. It feels safe. I feel happy. I feel proud of who I am. We've brought a child into this world. What a massive responsibility. And that's when I finally kind of found the courage to say to the media, well, and kind of tried, not not intentionally, but in a very nonchalant way that, you know, my partner had given birth to our first son and that was important to me. So mm. I was at home doing that. And yeah. here I am at the US Open and life goes on. Everyone has babies, right? Babies are born. That was my, this is my life. This is who I am. And then the public knew and then, you know, there's no turning back (laughs) once then. um, But then I can genuinely say since that moment, my life has um, definitely, it's been for the better because I genuinely feel like I can be who I want to be wherever I go, whatever I do. And yeah, 
Amazing. Everyone knows. I don't know if you're comfortable saying this, but how did you first meet Amanda? Yeah, of course. Um, I think for, you know, a lot of teenagers, there's a lot of exploration Mm. and a lot of like trying to find out who you are. And as I've mentioned, I guess I was a bit boring through high school. I just wanted to be an athlete. Um, I did have a female partner for about three years. Um, and then we split up and I remember I was in a, I was in a pretty dark place, to be honest. I'd made the fourth round of the Australian Open in 2008 and then 2009 I'd had some shoulder trouble. I'd just gone to Beijing Olympics and had some surgery down in Melbourne and yeah, I was in a bit of a dark place. I'd broken up with my ex at the time and I thought, oh gosh, where to now? Like, what am I going to do? So I rented a car and I drove up to Sydney and I rung uh, Giselle, who was my old fitness trainer. She had trained like Navratilova and she trained all these amazing tennis players. And I thought, I'm going to use this time to get really fit. So I rang Giselle and Nathan, her husband, and said, can I just, you know, live with you guys for a little bit until I find my feet? I've had shoulder surgery. And Giselle was like, I've got this really, um, you know, great girl that you can train with. She played high level touch footy and rugby league and um, you can train with her and that. And I was like, oh, no, it's okay. I just want to do my own thing. And then, yeah, as I said, I was in a dark place. So Giselle said to me, oh, do you want to come as my plus one to a touch football Hall of Fame dinner that she was getting inducted to? I was like, all right, why not? I should go out and have a bit of fun. I never have any fun these days. Mm -hmm. And just on the table, I got sat next to Amanda and it was on July 19th in 2009. And then pretty much since that day, we've been attached to the hip and I mean, it's 13 years later, three kids later, but it's funny, you know, you get to that fork in the road where I made that decision to kind of, you know, go to this touch footy dinner. I got sat next to Amanda. I thought she was beautiful. I thought she was so easy to talk to. And then, um, yeah, as I said, we shared a a kiss and then 13 years later, we've got three kids and now um, we've created such an amazing life together. But yeah, so like I've had two female partners, pretty boring, not really mm-hmm. <laughs> much juicy stuff. But I think, um, you know, for Amanda and I, it clearly was meant to be back then. And, you know, having kids is challenging, right, on any oh. relationship. It's tough, but um, we're a pretty good team. I love that there are so many people who are in that moment right now, that dark spot and that getting out there, yeah. not dating, just literally getting out there at all. The fact yes. that you said yes to one invite, to be one plus one at one thing, it's a good little reminder if you're in that spot right now. Like, you never know what's going to happen if you just say yes. I know. Just be brave. Just be courageous and just think, I'm going to get doled up tonight because you just never know when the stars may align. And for me, it was that night and, you know, my life is where it's at because of Amanda and, um, yeah, so grateful to have met her and created the life that we have. And, yeah, we've got three beautiful kids and here we are. But you're right. Put on, you know, your nicest clothes, get your hair done and go out and have a good time because you just never know. I've always wondered in your particular case, did you have to, like, talk to a lot of people around you first to, like, make sure everything was okay. It's so not sexy, but I worked in advertising for 11 years. I've made a lot of decisions about working with athletes on the other side of the table. So I'm not naive to the fact that people go, okay, we want to pick blah, blah, blah athlete. Let's see how uncomplicated they are. Yes. Are they in a relationship? Have they ever had any negative press? Did they get arrested once? So naturally it is going to have an effect and you have agents and managers and teams. Is that something you had to do? 
Hey yeah. guys, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah, there's definitely there was those conversations definitely happened, okay. and you could definitely tell the people that were there in an encouraging way. It's okay, you know, like. And then there was the ones like, oh, probably, you know, just be careful. You may not get this opportunity and that. Mm. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I was just, I think I got to that point just myself where I was like, I actually don't really care what anyone thinks or what anyone says. This is for me and my family and I'm going to do it. But 100% those conversations happen. I'm sure they still probably happen these days. Um, Hopefully not as often as they probably would have happened 20 years ago. But Mm. yeah, you're right. And it's probably not even just the, the... gay kind of conversation it's around like you said other things that are going on in people's lives that you know sponsors or that they're not looking for you know people that are going to add any complication sure. to their sponsorship. you want to have a child oh yeah. it doesn't work with our media flighting yes, schedule <laughs> exactly are you going to be pregnant you're going to be out of the game like mm. but anyway but yeah that stuff definitely happened so a majority of the press that happened afterwards was really positive i think that's wonderful there's only one stain I can think of. And it's a name that I promised myself I'd never say (laughs) on this podcast. And that's just my own personal belief system. But obviously, you had to deal with actually a really beautiful example of what most uh, some people have to deal with, which is a homophobe, like a a troll. You just dealt with it on a a very public stage, which was Margaret Court had a very strong opinion about what you were doing and um, (laughs) what your children were missing out on, uh, father and her case. It's difficult on the very best of days to hear anybody challenge you. I'm really wondering what it was like to maybe see those articles running around and that little press clipping of her and her opinion and what that was like for you. You're just trying to enjoy being a first-time mother. You're obviously mentally strong in that moment. Did you prove... Did your mind prove to you that you were strong? Like, how? How? what was it like for you? I need to know what happened yeah, behind yeah. closed doors. Yeah, no, it was definitely, I think, like you said, everyone's got their own belief systems, right? Everyone's got their own opinions. But for me, what made it difficult was that it was it was more personal because of the, the wording and the, you know, our names in the paper, my family. Like, that's what made it difficult for mm. me was that it's fine, go and, believe what you want to believe or have your opinion. That is okay. But when you single out my family and choose to, you know, write about that, then that's just not okay. Mm. So that was probably the hardest thing for me. Um, And we didn't respond back then because, as you know, the birth of your first child or children in your case Mm. is the utmost exciting moment that you'll ever experience in life. And we didn't want it to be dampened by some article that was getting, you know, that was written about us um, firsthand. So it was it was challenging and it was hard not to want to write back or yeah. talk back, but it wasn't worth the oxygen as, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the old saying, the cliche saying, just be the bigger person. And mm. we left it and we just thought it's not important. But I have to admit, you know, like reading that like the personalization of the what was written was probably the most you know gut wrenching thing about about that time um, when it should really be the the most exciting time of your life. Totally. So um, and I was used to the public eye. I'm used to being in the media and that. But you know my partner not so much. She's mm. very quiet. She's you know softly spoken and just goes about thing. And she's just given birth and you know the hormones and everything. So sure. you know it's it was challenging. But I'm really glad we didn't 
we didn't say anything and we just carried on. Yeah. And mm. also like to bring children into it, which is exactly what happened. Like, yeah. The phrasing of it is very specifically about a child who's going to grow up and and read that Could, thing. Yeah. You know, or become aware of it. Mm. And that feels to me like really just the lowest type of trolling is when someone like goes in and doesn't make it about Serena or her husband, but picks the child and and drills in on that. Yeah. Like who's the adult here? What's going on? Yeah. No. Now I imagine over the course of your uh, very long career in the sport, you've been lucky enough to kind of see the sport change. And we have had athletes at least on the women's side, come out um, this past year. And I'm wondering how you feel about the future of female tennis or just tennis in general. Is this becoming a more accepting place? Are you liking the way that the media is is reporting on people's personal lives? Would you have felt more comfortable coming out today than you did back then? I definitely would have felt more comfortable coming out today. And I think the one thing that probably has helped is social media. The fact that obviously athletes have, you know, control over what they want to share, whereas back, Mm. you know, 13 years ago when I um, came out, I didn't, you didn't have that option to be able to put yourself out there in the words that you wanted to say or what was written about you. Whereas I think that's definitely shifted in terms of, um, you know, what athletes particularly can share about themselves. So Mm. I think that's definitely helped. I think it would still be very difficult, but I think the future of women's tennis. I think we've got some wonderful role models. We've got some current players that yeah. are out. We've got a couple um, that are together and on yeah. tour together and have obviously shared a kiss after Wimbledon and that. So I think, yeah, as I said, I'm fortunate that I'm in a sport that I've genuinely been able to be who I want to be, um, you know, throughout. And, you know, everyone's always going to have their opinions, but I can genuinely say the majority are, are wonderful. So I think yeah, I think we've got some great examples and I think, you know, the sport's just going to continue to get better and better and we've got a whole new generation of tennis players coming through. Mm. You know, there's a real shift in terms of tennis as a whole anyway. Exactly. So, yeah, I think I think we're in a, a good space and I obviously work at kind of community level as well and the work that's being done in terms of being able to make sure that clubs are a lot more inclusive and making sure that, you know, they have, you know, transgender guidelines in place so that, Mm. You know, clubs are, you know, upskilled if someone walks through their gates and picks up a racket and wants to play tennis, that they feel they can go to a club and feel safe because yeah. we want everyone to enjoy our sport. So, yeah, really making sure that that's embedded in everything we do from community all the way through to high performance. For me, I've always felt a distinct separate line, unfortunately, between female tennis players and male tennis players when it comes to acceptance. I would argue that some of the best representation for LGBTQI plus athletes come from women's tennis, mm. like some of the greats of the entire sport. Yeah. And it's just not the same on the on the, the male side, is it? I think I can think of one athlete who's definitely not playing now, but was who even got to raise that flag for us and talk. I mean, you type in gay male tennis into Google and there's going to be like two articles, maybe five, and most of it is female athletes talking about the fact that it's not open enough. And so as a young person, I do remember playing, watching my mom and dad play, going to tennis camps and thinking, this is still a sport for masculine people. It's still a sophisticated type of masculinity maybe not macho in like yeah. an aggressive way, but yes. it still didn't feel like there was much room for femininity. And I am interested in why female tennis represents more of the reality of the world, which is there's a lot of different types of people. 
I wonder if that's something you've ever thought about. Like, why does has tennis historically done a good job of 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 sharing bisexual and lesbian athletes? Yeah, I think it's a. I mean, it's obviously a point you raise that's very true. And I think as a female tennis player, we definitely had, and I think this is what it comes down to, and why it's so important for people to feel comfortable that they can come out, whatever sport they play, mm. at whatever level, because there's no doubt having those trailblazers, I guess, that feel that they are in a safe place to be able to come out and be themselves really represent that next generation of, you know, young LGBTQ Mm. people to come out. And so I think for me, I definitely, you know, I've been fortunate enough to meet the people like Billie Jean Kings and that, that, you know, are just incredible human beings who I always had as a safe place and someone to look up to. And I think perhaps the women have always had that. And that's Mm. why it takes courage, right, for a male athlete to put themselves out there and say, hey, I'm gay. And that's why the Josh Cavallos and the ones that do come out, I really praise them because particularly as a male athlete, there's definitely been, um, you know, a roadblock in terms of why they, because they probably haven't had the same type of people to to look up to. And I think that's a big part of it. So Mm. I really hope that there's a shift in terms of those male athletes feeling comfortable. Yep. It's only going to take a few probably that will hopefully um, shift that dial a bit because I think, and you've been through this and I have too, but when you are that person that you then, I, n- I never really saw it as a responsibility, but the older I've got, the impor- I understand the importance of being out and being authentic and being myself and yeah. being who I am because you can really make an impact on that next generation. And I I know I've seen that firsthand. So yeah, it's interesting, but I hope that, you know, we do see a lot of more male athletes feel comfortable to come out in the future because that will really have a massive impact. Yeah, I know the ATP is currently still, uh, they've done that, they're doing that research study where they're reaching out to all those athletes. And so hopefully we can figure out what those barriers are with current athletes coming out. It's just improbable that there aren't currently athletes that are gay when you think about the number of professional tennis um, men that are touring right now. And so hopefully that can happen and hopefully it increases the likelihood that young people see that sport as an option for them. Because I'm not going to lie. I never thought that that was a sport that I could succeed in and also come out. And yet when women come out and continue to come out, like as recently as three months ago, I think, it makes me think that the sport is accepting as a large, even though it might just be one portion, one specific gendered group. I think those are my people yeah. playing my sport, mm. and future young people, gay, straight, bi, whatever, transgender. That that's a, that's a place yeah. for them. And we don't want we don't want people like you walking around thinking they can't succeed and mm. and be. We want every sport is for all, right? Sport yeah. is for everyone. And even the work I do now, I'm so passionate about making sure from club land all the way through to the high performance level that you know our sport is inclusive. And I'm very fortunate that I work in a sport that I, I feel like I've always had that yeah. from from the get-go. So we don't, yeah, we want people to come into our clubs, whatever, whatever street they're in, to walk in, to feel safe, to feel included, and to feel like they can have a pathway in tennis in whatever way they want, whether that be in an administration or as a high-performing player. Mm. Um, I do feel like the sport kind of is ready, but maybe we need to do some more education and that for the individuals to feel like they're comfortable yeah. um, to come out because, yeah, we want to, you know, we want everyone involved in our sport. Mm. I mean, it hasn't stopped you from being the number one Australian tennis player. It hasn't stopped <laughs> Billie Jean King from being the literal legend of all sport that, you know, she is. Yeah. 
I know it's a hard question to answer, especially because you've lived it, but there are a lot of athletes right now in every sport in every country who are questioning whether or not it's smart to be themselves. Because it does in a social era where it's all about a story and about a detail, especially right now. I mean, tennis, it feels like the 90s all over again. Like we know every single detail about a bunch of specific athletes and every move they make and every word they say and every article of clothing off the court becomes the athlete who we know and see them. It's why we go and watch. And Mm. so that's problematic as you see these young tennis players who are probably watching thinking, I could be like Kyrgios. I could be more than just a tennis player. And I'm wondering what you would say to young people. Is is the suggestion to be yourself or is the suggestion to focus on safety and security? No, I, I think I think being yourself is really, really, really important. Um, I think being, I mean, the word authentic's used obviously a lot, yeah. but genuinely, I mean, I I guess only from my experience and lived experiences, there's no better feeling than being able to be yourself and how freeing that is when you're on the court, particularly as an athlete, and feeling that freedom to be like, hey, this is who I am, regardless of win or loss, losing a tennis match, I'm going to walk off the court. And, you know, I think we've seen so many tennis players do that over their, their career. So I think being y- yourself, as long as you, you know, you're abiding by the rules of the sport and the, you know, how everything, um, yep. you do all that. But yeah, I think, I think it's really important, and I think it's important for us to continue to, you know, educate the young athletes to to be themselves and perform well, mm. but also be really happy off the court and make sure, you know, they're getting, you know, all of the athlete well being from a very young age, whether that be finishing school or some education. I mean, I've worked with a psychologist. Most of my life, whether that be clinically or through sports psychology for routines on court or yeah. being a better athlete. So, you know, making sure we've really got some good support networks around all of our athletes to feel like they can be who they want to be, but also be bloody good tennis players, yeah. which is what we want. That's great. I guess a great place to land is there's a lot of people just like you um, in every sport around the world who know that they're different, who might be coming to terms with their truth and are looking at the sport that they want to play and they're just trying to make some decisions about it. And they might have some good role models, but it's still difficult. And I'm just thinking about young you and what you wish someone had said to you because there just weren't older, elder examples of, of someone who could just stop and go, hey, here's some guidance. What's that guidance? Oh, the guidance. Um, I think if I just had someone reach out to me and almost say to me, um, well, I guess I think back to when I came out to a lot of different people and the things that they said to me that made me feel really safe um, in terms of who I was and what I was about to tell them was the Mm. things like, um, you know, they would say to me, thank you for feeling like I was, you know, you were comfortable to share your news with me and thank you for being, you know, an ally as we say now. But I'll always be here for you. And I remember feeling like having those things said to me when I was talking to people about my coming out or this is what I, I'm in a same-sex partnership or whatever it might be, just hearing someone say, oh, thank you so much for sharing that with me and feeling like um, I was the person that you could talk to about mm. this. 
I think made me feel really great that I'd done the right thing or that I knew that they were going to be there. So I don't know if that's guidance, but I think... Oh, it definitely is. is. Someone is yeah. If someone is young coming out, just really think about, be clear in terms of in the moment, perhaps what language you use or what you say to them in that moment, because that's a very big moment for that young person or mm. older person. doesn't matter who it is. It's a massive moment. And I just remember, yeah, you know, having a wry smile when someone would say to me, oh, thank you so much for, for sharing that news with me because, yeah, I'm really, I'm really thankful that I was that person for you that you could tell. So things like that, just be really mindful in that moment how difficult that is for the other person. Oh, I love that. That's never been said before and I completely agree. When mm. someone makes it not about them and about you and them at the same time, it's like, thank you. Yeah. It acknowledges that you don't have to come out to everybody. In fact, there are many of our elders who never once spoke their truth to a single person with their last name. They waited until everyone died. When I moved to New York, I had like 10 friends who said, when my mom and dad die, that's when I'll come out. That was their actual mm, truth, right? In the early 2000s. Yeah. And so that's just a beautiful, safe, simple. You might not know that anyone in your life has come out and you can put that in your back pocket. It's just the first thing to say. Yes. It buys you time too. Exactly. You can just say, thank you so much for telling me your truth. You don't actually have to agree with that truth, but it's a really beautiful sentence. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I got to tell you, I was trying real hard not to fangirl. So this is oh, a very no. <laughs> big moment for me to be able to sit across and you think for your honesty. Thank you for what you represent for the tennis sport. I think, I just think back to like being younger and what it meant to love tennis and what it means to love tennis today. And, you know, you're a, you're a part of the history that makes the sport more accepting. And that, that means a lot to me. It means a lot now as I watch my kids grow up. So I'm just, it's honor. I'm honored. Oh, and thank, thank you, so, you much. so much for having me. This was exciting. It's nice to come and chat about something that means a lot to me that I'm a big advocate for now in my sport. I love my sport. I love people that love my sport like you, Sean. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm a bit biased to, to kind of head towards people that love tennis. But um, yeah, it's just been wonderful to be on here today. Thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your week. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus 18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus 18 are on all socials at minus18youth and their website is minus18.org.au. But Minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527 for free every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zeps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps. Our lovely producer is... Lindsay Grain. Our executive producer is... Lemma Zacharia. And we can't forget our audio producer... Chris Marsh. See you soon.